I want to bring you up to speed on something real quick if I can. I am very excited about Week of Hope. I don't know if you guys are, but I am very, very excited. And hope is something that we have in Jesus. And to be honest with you, people in this community desperately need hope. And so what we're going to do is we're going to be loving the people in our community that Jesus loves. We're going to be serving the people in our community that Jesus loves. And we're going to be uh, reaching out to them, inviting them to our, our concert, barbecue, uh, where they'll have an opportunity to hear about the hope that we have in Christ. And uh, last year, I think we shared the hope of Christ with about 190 people, and we're hoping to share the, the gospel again uh, with at least that many people. And we're just hoping and praying that God will use us to lead at least one person to Jesus through this. So I'm very excited. I think when we're all working together on stuff like this, I think we have a lot bigger impact in our community than if we're just kind of doing you know, our own little thing by ourselves. So uh, excited about it. Uh, you know, uh, I, I do have a little piece of, of good news to share with you today. Matt had his earlier. I have some. You know, we've been looking for the right person who's going to step up and give leadership to our children's ministries as we're moving forward. And children's ministries is something that's always been hugely important to us as a church because, you know, we love our children and we love the children of our community. And so what we did uh, when it became aware that Christy was going to be moving back to Texas to be closer to family we really began praying and thinking about this. And so what I did was I called some of the different leaders in our children's ministry, including uh, Tiffany and Jackie and Bree, who lead Surge, uh, the nursery and Kids Zone, and uh, a few other people. I started talking with our staff, with our elders. And what I did with those people is I asked them, tell me the profile. What do you want us to look for in our next director of children's ministries? Because I kind of wanted to hear from different people what their thoughts were. And we came up with a list. It was about three and a half pages long. That is not a joke. That is the truth. Uh, and when you have a page, when you have a profile that's three and a half pages long, the likelihood of finding someone is pretty small. Uh, so what we did is we sat down and we, we, we shrunk that three and a half page document to a half page of some things that were very, very important to us. And so what I asked our staff to do is I said, what I want you to do is I want you to look at each of these things listed in the profile, and I want you to give me a list of names by each one of those. And as we were going through that list, we found one name kept coming up again and again and again. Uh, and, and the name that came up was Kimberly Brown. It was real funny. I remember I was talking with Justin about it, and I asked Justin, Kimberly's wife, I asked Justin, I said, Justin, who do you think would be a good leader for our children's ministry? And he said, my wife. And which was kind of funny because that's what everybody else was saying too. And so usually when you have someone who's an 80% fit, that they're usually a very, very good fit. In our church, what we do is we don't look for the perfect fit, but we look for someone who approximates what we're looking for because we realize you'll never have someone who fits exactly. But then what we do is we try to bend that uh, ministry description around the gifts and talents and how God has shaped that person. And then we try to staff around them. So we felt like all of us just felt like Kimberly was the right person. Uh, and so uh, uh, we met with her a week ago Thursday. Joy and I did. Had a fantastic uh, conversation. And this is what I love working with people. This is what I love. I love when I'm sitting down with someone and we're talking about something and they have ideas, lots of ideas. Because usually when a person has lots of ideas about a ministry, they're excited about it, you know? And, and to me, my job isn't to try to say, oh, that idea is not a good idea. Let's do my idea instead. Uh, that's not my job. My job is to help you be successful at what God has called you to do. And that's my job is to help Kimberly be successful at what God has called her to do. 
And so uh, one of the things that's going to be real important moving forward, she does work full-time, and so she won't have quite the time availability that Christy has had. So it's going to be real important that we staff around her with some key people. And there's some things that Christy was doing that we're going to be giving away to like an admin-type role. But what I'd like you to be doing is praying, praying for Kimberly, praying for the rest of our leadership in our children's ministries, and uh, uh, and, and then just, you know, and praying about what God wants your part to be. If God is wanting you to step up in some role or some fashion, uh, there, there are places there. There are places there to so let Kimberly know about that. So just wanted to share that little piece of good news with you. Uh, we've been doing a series called Building Stronger Homes. Uh, every year around Mother's Day, I always like to do a series talking about family. And the reason I like to do that is just because family is so important. And uh, there, you know, it, you know, I was talking with Joe Alio, our former police, uh, uh, chief of police here in Fairfield a while back. And I remember I was talking with Joe, and I, Joe was, we, you know, we were talking and we were drinking coffee together. And Joe made this comment to me, and I, he's right. He's 100% right. He said, communities that have strong families and have strong churches are strong communities. The stronger the families are, the stronger the churches are, the stronger the community is. And, and so it's just real important that we're always investing in our marriages, that we're always investing in our family. And as we're investing in our family, investing in the family of church, because we're a family, a spiritual family. So we've been doing this series, and, uh, and today uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, and we're going to be talking about the measure of a man. And I know it's not Father's Day. I know it's not Father's Day, but I wanted to bring you a Father's Day message today, and we'll bring another one next week. But this message is one that's been burning on my heart for a long time. And I feel like when a message has been burning on my heart for a long time, it's really important that I'm sh- I share it with you. And so we're going to be looking at the measure of a man. Now, now I don't know what your experience was growing up. I'll tell you a little bit about my experience. As a young boy, uh, I had kind of a, I had a, a profile, talking about profiles for children's ministry, I had a profile in my mind of what manhood looked like. I had this idea of what it meant to be a real man. And so in my mind, uh, real men are they're strong, physically strong, powerful. In my mind, a real man is he's tough, got to be tough. Uh, in my mind, a real man... Uh, <laughs> I, I hate to confess this in, in church especially, but in my in my mind as a young man moving into manhood, in my mindset, a real man was irresistible to women. So you can see for me it was I was in a hopeless situation, all right? <laughs> you know, you know, in my mind the motto of manhood looks something like like Larry Zonka, uh Clint Eastwood and James Bond all wrapped up in one. I don't know if you, those of you who don't know who Larry Zonke is, maybe you're a little too young to, to know who Larry Zonke is, but, but Larry Zonke was 6'3", 235 pounds, at that time, one of the largest running backs in the NFL. He played for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I think he was selected number eight in the draft. Uh, and he was a, he was, he, he was just, he was a beast. He was. I mean, he was intimidating. He was powerful. He broke his nose ten times playing football because he would lead with his head. 
He would. Finally, Don Shula had to say, you're not going to lead with your head anymore because you're not going to be around to play very long. You're going to learn how to lead with your forearm. So he learned how to lead with his forearm, and what happened was he, he hit this guy. I don't remember his name, but he was a safety for the Buffalo Bills, and he hit him and knocked him out, and, and they threw a uh, unnecessary roughness penalty on Larry Zonka. And so it's like he's probably the only running back who's ever had, uh, you know, a – uh, a penalty for, for being, uh, for unnecessary roughness. Uh, but he would, guys would hit him and he would carry him like five, ten yards. He was just a beast. And so in my mind, a real man was strong. He was powerful. In, in my mind, in my mind, a real man was tough. He was tough. Like Clint Eastwood. You know Clint? You know, aka Rowdy Yates. Uh, Dirty Harry, uh, the outlaw Josie Wells. You know, he was tough. I mean, shooting one bad guy after another, all right? And if shooting them wasn't enough, he'd shoot them in the leg, and then he would grind his heel into it until they confessed their crimes. You know, that, that in my mind, a real man's got to be tough. That's what I thought. And then I thought, well, in, in my mind, a real man's got to be irresistible, like James Bond. You know, you know, with James Bond, he's like smooth. He's like cool. He's got. And speaking of cool, man, this guy's got more cool gadgets than Batman. You know, I mean, his cars and all these different things that he gets and stuff. And and he's like super, super cool. And you know, and it's like the beautiful women they just kind of swoon over him. Irresistible. Uh, so you can see that I, I was completely hosed thinking of what I had to measure up to to be a real man. You know, I was like, uh, you know, that's not me. It's not me. Uh, The ideal man. What is the ideal man really? What's the ideal man really? I I came across this the other day. (laughs) Okay, I don't read Glamour Magazine, all right? I don't read Glamour Magazine, but I came across this, and I had to share it with you. And Glamour, what they did was they surveyed 1,000 uh, of their readers to ask them about the perfect man. And this is what they said. Glamour polled more than 1,000 heterosexual women to find out how you define the perfect man. And it turns out that Mr. Wonderful is normal. Well, there, I'm not on the list again, all right? He's normal. He's loyal. He's an honest guy. He's funny, but he doesn't showboat on Twitter. He prefers jeans, a T-shirt. Okay, there's hope for me. Uh, and David Beckham favored boxer briefs, as well as well-groomed scruff uh, that's only the tiniest bit scratchy when you're making out. This is, this is glamour, okay? Occasionally, he'll talk about his feelings uh, and his desire to have children one day when the time is right. But in the meantime, he'll help with the chores and walk the dog. I am not walking the dog. Uh, he reads books. But we'll also sit through a Netflix marathon with the best of them. And most important, whether he's a hipster or an enlightened bro, an Aquarius or a Taurus, uh, he texts he texts once a day. Uh, I read it and I thought, according to Glamour, I'm going to have to start doing a, a couple of three things if, if I'm going to be the ideal man. Uh, one, I, I've got to text more. And, and the other is I'm going to have to trade in my tidy whities for boxers, all right? <laughs> I'm just not quite getting to the ideal man. So where do we look? Where does a young man look for what it means to be a real man? 
Is the glamour man truly the ideal man, or should we look elsewhere for a better vision? People, we need a vision. But we need a better vision of manhood than the insights of a thousand women who we glamour. We do. Recent article on a website called Desiring God. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it. I, I read articles every once in a while. But in a recent article I read there from a guy named Darren Patrick, Darren writes that, that men t- try to assert their masculinity through power. They try to assert their masculinity through power. This isn't the quote yet. Uh, they try to assert their masculinity through power. They try to assert their masculinity through their possessions, what they own, and through promiscuity. That somehow, this is what a lot of us as men have bought into of what it means to be a man. And so what Patrick says is he says, we need a more compelling vision for masculinity. I think Patrick is right. We need a more compelling vision for masculinity. We need to see a man so utterly rooted and secure in his identity that he can actually embody masculinity for us. A man with no crisis of identity, pursuing his calling with passion and persistence. That's what we need. A man whose masculinity is not vain and self-serving. That's what we need. We need to look to Jesus, the true and perfect man. See, I believe you'll never find a better vision for manhood than what you'll find in the person of Jesus. I believe that with all my heart. Jesus is strong, but he wasn't as strong in, in the way the world counts strength. He was, uh, you know, he gave up power and authority, what the world says is manly. He gave, he walked away from that. He walked away from power and authority to show us what a real man looks like. See, he, he emptied himself. He was, he was God the Son. No one had greater power. No one had more authority. He walked away from it. His love for us. Are you you talking about wealth? You talking about wealth? Nobody on this planet has any clue about what real wealth looks like. I've been around a few people who are pretty wealthy. I'm telling you that that their wealth is is tiny. You look at someone like Bill Gates or, or... Jeff Bezos or whatever his name is for for Amazon, those guys, they they are paupers in comparison to the wealth that Jesus had in heaven. And yet he walked away from it all. He walked away from it all. In fact, fact, the Lord and Savior, the the person that the, the whole movement of what the church is about, he was homeless. I wasn't about power it wasn't about it wasn't about possessions and promiscuity hey listen when other men would assert their masculinity by uh well basically making women possessions by exploiting women you know what jesus did he protected them he defended them 
He didn't conquer women. He was the master and conqueror of his own passions. That's what real manhood looks like. Today I want to look at text of Scripture, and I want us to talk a little bit more about what real manhood looks like. And, and I think it has a lot of, you know, this, ladies, if you feel left out today, I apologize. But I've got to speak to the men of our church, and I've got to challenge them to be men. And to be honest with you, there's value in these words for you. There's value in these words for you. It is the Word of God. See, what the Bible says this, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, it says this, it, it, real quick, background on the book of Corinthians. Background on the book of, uh, of Corinthians. That, that Paul writes to the Corinthians at the time he had been serving, doing ministry in, in Ephesus for about three years. And when he writes them, he writes to them about a number of problems that they have. He writes to them about a number of concerns. And, and over and over again, he, with each new section of 1 Corinthians, he'll say, now concerning, now concerning, now concerning. He had many concerns for the church in Corinth, probably in response to a letter he had received from them. And so he talks to them about, about unity in the church. Why? Because they were divided. He talks to them about immorality in the church. Why? Because a lot of them struggled with immorality. Corinth was a very immoral city. I mean, there was a, a temple to Aphrodite that had a thousand temple prostitutes. And men would worship by sleeping with a prostitute. And, and the, the immorality didn't stop there. It spread throughout that city. But he writes to them about immorality, and he writes to them about, about marriage and about singleness and about food sacrifice to idols and about proper conduct and worship, about the Lord's Supper, about spiritual gifts, and the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He talks to them about the resurrection and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and its significance and importance and what it means for us as Christians today. And toward the close of his letter, he finishes with five imperatives. You know what an imperative is? It's a command. Okay? He, 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 he finishes with, with five imperatives, five things that you absolutely must do. And I think that in these five imperatives, we, we see a hint of what biblical manhood should look like. In fact, it, it's centered in these five commands. It's, it's number three. It's right in the center, as if almost like an anchor that the others are, are tethered around. And what Paul says, he says, be on the alert. Some of us need that on Sunday morning. Be on the alert. Be awake. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. In the middle of these five imperatives is the, the exhortation, act like men. Now, some translations, I don't know what Bible you're using today. I'm reading from the New American Standard. But the, the New American Standard Bible, the SV Bible, uh, the, um, uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, a number of translations translate this, this phrase. Andrizomai um, is the Greek word. And they translate it, act like men. A number of, of translations like the NIV, uh, I think the New King James, I think uh, uh, the New Living Translated, they'll, they'll, 
they'll translate it as be courageous. But, but the word andrizomai comes from the word that literally means man. And it means literally act like a man. Now, the, those other translations, they're not bad translations. Certainly courage is, 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 is hugely important. Uh, but um, anyway, I'll get into that more in a moment, okay? But, but, but in this, central to this teaching, it, right in the middle of this is this, this concept of acting like men. In our world today, we need a better understanding of manhood. We need a biblical vision of manhood, uh, what true ma- manhood should look like. So what does the Bible teach us about manhood? Uh, number one, we need to be spiritually vigilant. We need to be spiritually vigilant. The Scripture says, be on the alert. It's also translated, be watchful, be on your guard, be on the alert, keep watch, be awake, be vigilant. Be on the alert. For what? Why do we need to be alert? Why does why is, is being alert so important? Uh, the same word, be on the alert, it, it's used a number of different ways in the New Testament. It, it's used to speak of Peter. He, he says, be on the alert because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roar seeking, or excuse me, like a, a lion, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. On another occasion, Jesus says, be alert, be wakeful, watchful with me in prayer. Why? So that you won't fall into temptation. And then on another place, Jesus uses it again. He says, be alert, be watchful, be awake, be vigilant. Because the Son of God is coming again, and you do not know the time or the hour that he's coming. Meaning this, you do not want to be unprepared when Jesus returns. You do not want to be unprepared when Jesus returns. Be alert. It's the the, uh, exhortation that a commanding officer gives to one of his soldiers who's on guard duty. Hey, be alert. Uh, Be alert. Be awake. Be aware. Why? Because all of his, 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 his comrades in arms... Their survival depends upon him being awake and being aware while he's keeping watch for them. It's, it's be alert, be awake. Why? Because imagine it this way. If you knew tonight at 1 a.m., if you knew tonight at 1 a.m. that someone was going to break into your house, would you be asleep in bed? No, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be up armed and ready. I am. I'm gonna. You know, no one comes to the door. No one comes. No one comes to the door. No one comes close to my family without going through me. No one. And that's the idea, men. We need men who are. Your wives need you to be alert, and to be spiritually alert and awake and awake. Your sons, your daughters need you to be alert and awake and ready. Your brothers, your sisters, your church need you to be alert, to be awake. What does real manhood look like? We need to be spiritually vigilant. Number two, uh, we need to be resolute and steadfast in doctrine in our devotion to Christ. The Scripture says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. What does it mean to stand firm in the faith? It means to be steadfast. 
It means to persevere, to endure with unyielding determination. It means to hold your ground without compromise. People, when aspects of doctrine become unpopular in our world today, we have got to stand fast on what the Bible says. We've got to stand fast. We cannot give an inch. We need to do it with wisdom. We need to do it with humility. We need to do it graciously. But we have got to be unyielding. Um, a man who stands firm would rather suffer and die before giving an inch to the enemy, before compromising his integrity, before abandoning crucial doctrines of the faith. Are you a man who stands firm? Our wives, our sons, our daughters, our families, they need it. Our church needs it. We've got to stand firm. Number three, what does biblical manhood look like? We need to act like men. I've already touched on this a little bit, but the, the, the Greek word andrizomai means to act like men. Uh, if, if, you, if you have an ESV study Bible, it, 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 it says this. It says, act like men is a frequent command in the Septuagint. The Septuagint was just the uh, Greek uh, copy of the Old Testament that, that many of the New Testament Christians used. But act like men is a frequent command of the Septuagint used in context, encouraging people, especially soldiers, to act with courage and strength and in obedience to the Lord with confidence in his power. Well, what does it mean to act like men? Uh, you know, in, in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings chapter 10, there's a story about Joab. And Joab was the commander of the armies of Israel, and he was sent out by David uh, to fight against, I think, against the Ammonites. And the Ammonites hired the Arameans to go into battle with them. And so David sent them into combat, and he sent Joab and the armies of Israel out to face them. And what happened is they were surrounded. They, they were, the armies of Israel were surrounded. And they had battle lines in front of them, and they had battle lines behind them. And what Joab did is he told his brother Abishai, he gave him half of the command of half of the soldiers. He took the other half. He said, hey, if, if they're too great for you, we'll come and support you. If the ones that we're fighting are too great for us, you come and support us. And then what he told the guys as they were getting ready to go into battle, he said this, he said, Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what's good in his sight. And the Bible tells us that Joab and the armies of Israel advanced against the Arameans and the Ammonites and defeated them. Now, folks, men, we've got to act like men. And what the Bible tells us today is that we're in the middle of a spiritual battle. We are. You're in a spiritual battle today. Men, you're in a spiritual battle. Your family is right on the battlefield. The battle is among us. It's here. It's not like there's a battle line over there and we send all of our young men away to fight the war for us. It's right here. And gentlemen, we've got to hold the line. We got to act like men. We got to show up for our sons, our daughters, our wives, our families. We got to show up. We got to act like men. Um, you know, we're in the middle of a spiritual battle, and this battle is for the hearts, the souls, the lives of people. It's, our battle is not against people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of darkness. The reason that we are going to do Week of Hope 
is because we are fighting. We are fighting for the hearts, the lives, the souls of people in this community. There are people today that they feel like they have nothing more to live for. They're not even sure if they want to go on living. And they need hope. And they don't even know that the hope that they need is the hope that we have. We can't be apathetic. We can't say it's someone else's battle to fight. But we've got to go out. We've got to fight for them. We're not fighting with them. We're fighting for them. But we've got to act like men. Number four, what does the Bible teach us about manhood? Number four, we need to be strong. We need to be strong. What does it mean to be strong? This isn't about physical strength. It's talking about something a whole lot lot more important. This is not about being able to bench press 500 pounds, although I can do that. Just kidding. Uh, this, this isn't about physical strength. Biblical manhood is about a kind of... It's not, it's not being spiritually macho. That's not what it is. It, 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 it's, in fact, uh, it, it, it's, this kind of strength is... It means to be resilient. It means to be resilient. It means to be, it means to be um, mentally tough. It means to be mentally tough. Not mentally mean, but tough. It means to be ardent in our devotion to God and doing what is right. It's about being spiritually powerful. In, in Psalm 31, David says, Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. We need to be strong. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians about spiritual warfare, he told the believers in Ephesus, finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We're not strong in ourselves. This isn't my strength. It's being strong in his mighty power, not mine. Um. It, in, in Colossians, Paul prayed that they would be strengthened with all power so that they would have great endurance and patience so that they would joyfully give thanks to God the Father. Being strong, is it's an attitude. It's an outlook. It's, it, it's a mindset. It's a, a manner. It's a posture. It, it's, it's a, a bearing uh, in how we approach life. It, it isn't how big our muscles is. It's more about how how much heart we have. God wants us to be strong. And finally, what does the Bible teach us about manhood? We need to do everything in love. What does the Scripture say? Let all that you do be done in love. We need to do everything in love. What does it look like doing everything in love? What does that look like in everyday life uh, what does that look like? Biblical manhood, you know, it, it is, um, we need to do everything in love. That, that We need to, to pursue love. We need to pursue love. That's what 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says. Is that, that we need to, why, why do we need to pursue love? Because, because, listen to this. Why do we need to do everything in love? Why do we need to pursue love? Because love never fails. Did you know that? Because love, that's not my word. That's not my word. That's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. Gentlemen, I want to tell you something. Have any of you ever felt like a failure? You ever had that feeling before? I have. 
I've had it many times. Have you ever felt like a failure? Have you ever wanted to do something and maybe you fell short and, 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 and falling short in that? It felt like failure. And you felt like it was defining you. Gentlemen, you have to understand this. You've got to know this. Deep down, know it. This is what's got to define you. Is it no man who loves well? Listen to me. No man who loves well is ever a failure. Did you know that? No man who loves well is ever a failure. You know why? Because the Bible says, love never fails. By the way, the only reason we can love is because of how God loves us. We need to do everything in love. That's why the Bible tells us, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's the reason that the Bible tells us Jesus says, love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. That we need to do everything in love. That's why the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. We need to do everything in love. That's why the Bible even says, love your enemies. Because the one who pursues love and the one who does everything in love is never a failure. Because love never fails. It takes a powerful man to love like that. Darren Patrick says that we need a more compelling vision for masculinity. We need to see a man so utterly rooted and secure in his identity that he can actually embody masculinity for us. Guys, that's why we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. See, it, it's, it's only when we follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior that we can embody that kind of manhood for our wives, our sons, daughters, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. strong let all that you do be done in love let's pray God we praise you we praise you for how you've loved us Uh, we praise you God for giving us a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we worship you and we thank you because in you we have the perfect model of manhood. In you we have the perfect model. We don't have that model in in Larry Zonka or Clint Eastwood or, or James Bond or anybody else. We have the perfect model of what real manhood is supposed to look like in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing that for us. God, I want to pray for our men i i think the world can beat us up and just spit us out and and sometimes we we feel like our manhood is being assaulted Uh, sometimes god we we our culture does such a good job of of discipling us we we lose sight of what's really most important we we lose sight of jesus we feel so beat up sometimes we we don't even see that that the real model of manhood is in jesus lord please help us to fix our eyes on him 
God, help us to be men who are alert, men who, who are steadfast in our faith, men who act like men, men who, um, who are strong, who dare everything in love. Help us to be those kinds of men for our families. I pray this in, in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.